Welcome to Close the Door and Come Here, a Song of Ice and Fire podcast with heavy leanings towards our two favorite characters, Jamie and Brienne. There was a bear bear, all black and brown and covered in hair. Hi, everyone, and welcome to our reread of, uh, well, our read through of Sansa 2 of A Game of Thrones. I'm Kama, and you can find me at Oxford Splice on Twitter. And today I'm joined with uh, by Guile. Hi, I'm Guile, and I tweet at Door Podcast. And Clotho. Hi, I'm Clotho, and you can find me at Clotho Spindle on Twitter. So, um, usual warnings for. Um, trigger weight warnings for rape and definitely violence in this one um, and also an animal violence I should say and also um, we spoil everything um, books and shows so um, basically I could boil this chapter to Sansa gets to go to the tourney of her dreams and you know everyone's got to spoil it for her um, but maybe we'll get into a little more detail Um so they're having the tourney of the hand and Sansa is going to going with um, her guardian, Septa Mordain and Jane Poole. And it's, it's everything she's ever wanted. And she's like saying to herself, it's better than the songs. And honestly, it kind of does sound, I mean, it sounds like thousands of people and, you know, and, yeah, it sounds great. Festival. And yeah. everyone, I mean, I'm, I totally, I skipped over all of this or something, but like everyone has all of this fabulous sounding armor. Yes. I mean, didn't you like clock that? I mean, like yes. <laughs> the Kingsguard are all in white. I have no idea how white armor actually would yeah. function. Jamie's in gold. Jan Royce has runes like protective runes all over his armor. And there's like Jason Malister is there in Indigo. I mean, it sounds amazing. Um, I mean, and it's kind of funny. I mean, like Jane has, has a thing for the slightly older Beric Dondarrion, who's all of 25, but, um, <laughs> um, and, um, Jory has entered uh, into the competition, but he sartorially, at least he pales in comparison to everyone else. Yeah, and it's um, kind of like, we've mentioned that before, I think in other ones, almost like the rock star of their time. You know, that kind of celebrity, like, oh, I get to see this person, and I get to see that Well, it person. just reminds me of A Knight's Tale, too. Yeah. Like, they literally yeah. are like, we will rock you, and, you know, <laughs> they have, like, the boxing match, like, hype, you know, hype yes. men and stuff. Like, it's... Well, it's like she's got, like, you know, she's got, like, front row seats to, you know, I don't know... I mean, I'm going to come up with all old music. It's like the Beatles and the Rolling yeah. Stones and everyone. And, you know, <laughs> Lady Gaga, all, you know, you'd ever put those all together. But, like, they're all together in yeah. one show. And she's right there. She's got, like, backstage passes. Yeah, even with, like, the roses they give them and things, you know, people throwing stuff on. You know, you can kind of see that people throwing things out, you know, on stage. Or <laughs> she's, like, at Coachella in, like, a VIP area, basically. Yeah, totally. Except it's, like, all of the Coachellas. And she's also, yeah. like... You know, she's part of this. I mean, because she's going to be marrying the prince. And she's the daughter of the hand. And it's yeah, his journey. And, you know, yeah, she's, yeah. yeah. Um, 
And it's all great. There's a ton of jousts. I did skip over part of this. Um, I don't know if anything significant happens um, until Sir Gregor ends up killing uh, the guy we will eventually learn is Sir Hugh of the Vale, who is in his brand new fancy, fancy armor. And his body falls pretty close to her. And she's this I thought was really interesting. There's this whole bit about how she's not upset. She's oddly composed. She's not crying. And she's wondering why she's not crying. And she does finally conclude. I'll read a little bit of this. The young knight in the blue cloak was nothing to her. Some stranger from the Vale of Erin, whose name she had forgotten as soon as she had heard it. And now the world would forget his name too, Sansa realized. There would be no song sung for him. That was sad. I don't know. It's a little weird, the disassociation here, although... I don't know. I don't know if anyone had any thoughts. Yeah, I, I kind of felt it. it I, I don't know what to make out of it. I don't know whether it's um, sort of her protecting herself or what, what you know, George, it, on the surface, it kind of reads as, oh, she's cold. But I don't know if it's just a self-protection mechanism. Mm. I think she's, you know, she probably hasn't seen, you know, she obviously I don't think has seen anyone you know, killed in front of her like this, but, you know, she did just come from this, you know, super traumatic incident on the, you know, on the way, on the way to King's Landing. And I think, you know, that still is coloring her a little bit. Also, I think she's very aware of, you know, that she is the fiance of the prince, that she is, you know, that she has a role to play here and she's kind of role playing as the, you know, the stoic queen to be more or less. Yeah. She definitely is aware of who she is and how she's expected to behave. And she's trying very hard to stay within that. And, you know, to be fair, like she, you know, as we see at Blackwater and stuff later, like she actually deals with this kind of stuff pretty well. Like she's pretty calm, at least to so far in, you know, these like dramatic circumstances, she has an ability to be, you know, pretty calm, even thinking, you know, forward when Joff is like making her look at her father's head and stuff like she, yeah. you know, yeah. she doesn't like, she doesn't give that reaction that you might expect of a young girl. Like she's a little bit more composed than that just by her nature, I think. So there's more jousting and eventually they're basically the final four are Sander, Gregor, Jamie and Loris. And we get, some backstory on Loras, who's all of 16, by the way, and Sansa is quite taken with him. Kind of don't blame her. I mean, this description of what he looks like and what he's doing. I mean, it's not, again, you're at the rock star and you've been no, or the rock concert and you've been noticed by the lead singer. Um, and what he's been doing, I kind of love the showmanship again. I mean, it's like he's got this like blanket of roses over his horse or something. And every time he beats someone, (laughs) he's basically handing a young woman in the crowd, a rose, they're white and red roses. And she, everyone has gotten a white rose. He gives her the red rose and calls out her beauty. Um, and it's like amazing. (laughs) And before we get in, cause it, it does start to go South a little bit slightly, but, um, did we have any, I think we may have had a few questions. Like yeah, particularly- we have a question from Danny Buck about, um, you know, basically around ro- one thing around roses. Um, you know, what do they mean in the Song of Ice and Fire with golden roses, roses, the roses that, you know, Brienne's mocked with, um, you know, the blue winter roses that represent, 
John and Liana? Like, is there anything specific, do you think, around um, roses? Well, aren't they universally, like, a symbol of love? Um, I know, like, some of them have different meanings, like, in, like, our world. I don't know if that, you know. I mean, I just kind of thought of them. (laughs) I I don't know. I don't have any meanings for them. Um, They're, like, a symbol of romance. Yeah, just yeah I mean, hole. that could be, yeah, it's just, like, in general. And the blue roses, so the blue roses are, like, you know, what, like a, like, tragic romance or something? I don't know. I feel like I'm entirely off base here. <laughs> well, I mean, like, like, things like, like, the whole language of flowers, like, I think if someone hands you, a, like, there's, like, one color represents friendship, one is, like... Rome, like romantic love, like some of them might mean. I think yellow roses don't have a particularly good meaning, but like I, I'm wondering if he's just playing with that a little bit. I mean, I feel like Loris himself would absolutely know the answer to this question. To this question, you know, being a Tyrell and being, you know, given their background, I feel like this is all. This is like totally their jam. Like he, you know, probably knows the meaning of of everything. Yeah. Well, he's. He definitely, I mean, all of these characters have a sense of the theatrical, and he certainly does, and Mm -hmm. he's playing this up, and I don't know. It's also interesting to me how, for the most part, she knows who all these people are already. Yeah, there's a very few, like, she understands who the the movers and shakers are, and she knows their story, and she's, like, tuned into all of that in a way that is unusual for someone her age, Yeah, even in her social circumstances. I mean, that's that takes... That's a skill set. We had another question um, about the Royces and their armor. If um, This is from Wax Paper Door on the JB subreddit. Um, if Jan Royce and his sons wear armor that is engraved with magic runes to protect them against harm, would Waymar have had something similar too? And the reasons the others could kill him was because he wasn't wearing it, because he was um, wearing watch armor. Which I was like, ooh, that's probably <laughs> true, right? Although Jan does get knocked down, so... You know, yeah, yeah. I don't know. That's interesting. I never really. There are a lot of bits in here. I I just totally. Well, Iruna twenty two on the subreddit had a question. Um, so many of these knights appear in Elaine's Winds of Winter chapter, and do you think that line about them being yet unknown, but that one day the Seven Kingdoms would resound with their names, is foreshadowing or just naivety? Naive. I'm sorry, I can't say that word. It will be interesting to see how Sansa's attitude will differ now that she has become somewhat of a player. Um, I thought like the one that was really prominent upon reread was Luther Brune. Like he was, you know, he's just like a hedge knight at this point, and he's like kind of kicking ass at the beginning of the tourney. Yeah. And you know, we see him in her chapters in the Vale, but then, you know, when we kind of, you know, we see that he's going to be, you know, he kind of is interested in Maya Stone and he seems like of all of Peter's Peter's people, he might be the one that is like the most decent of them. And, you know, again, given what might happen in this tourney, you know, A, we know he's a pretty good knight from his performance here. So, you know, in this tourney in the veil that's coming up and wins, you know, he might be a very prominent character in there. And then also just given that we feel like maybe he's a hmm. decent human being compared to some of the other people in the veil. Depending mm-hmm. what goes down there, he could be, you know, a really, you know, a really critical person. I, also, I, did you know that notice that Jamie fought one of 
the Karens, who was, you know, the family that Brienne was betrothed into. No. Oh, I didn't miss that. that. And also, like, the, the yeah, so, um, <laughs> yeah, he, he wins. I love, like, the description of um, Thoros, who sounds like he's there and everyone else is wearing, like, plate, and he's there in his robes. Um, but he oh, does pretty yeah. well, you know. He just seems like just like kind of wacky, like yeah. <laughs> really interesting. And I mean, this doesn't go away. Like he's an interesting guy. Like yeah, no. every time he shows up in the books, yeah, a little bit it's... of Thoros goes a long way. Well, you don't need a lot of Thoros. I mean, no. he makes an appearance, and you know, is um... magic just happens. <laughs> <laughs> so things. The first hint that things are not going to end well in this chapter happens when Littlefinger shows up and recognizes her as Kat's daughter. And her first reaction, I think, is the correct one, which is what they say <laughs> that usually is, and that she makes her uncomfortable. Oh, God. Um, and Septimordian introduces her, and he tells her, this is a quote, Your mother was my queen of beauty once, the man said quietly. His breath smelled of mint. You have her hair. His fingers brushed against her cheek as he stroked one auburn lock. Quite abruptly, he turned and walked away. Mm. And I'm like, gross! Gross! So, we got some comments about this. (laughs) Um, Wax Paper Dora says, you know, at the tourney, just how close is Littlefinger to Sansa that she can tell some breath smells of mint? Gross. (laughs) It's gotta be. I mean, he's chewing. It's mint. It's actual, like... I, I actually, okay, so well, I'm making... touching her hair, so I mean, he's oh, very close yeah, to her, obviously. Space. So it's like, it's not like he's just taking a whole whack load of scope. It's a piece of herb. I mean, I'm making yeah. a salad that has mint, and I actually put a piece <laughs> in my mouth to, like, see, like, it's not that, I mean, unless he's just chewing down on, like, a giant salad of the stuff, he's, he's got to be close. plant of mint that he just carries around. <laughs> just on it. Oh God! You can totally see him like spraying, like a modern time, spraying the mint stuff in his mouth before he goes to talk to her. Oh, Westerosi mint is just stronger, but also yeah. God. And then um, Aruna twenty two is like, is Sansa a creep magnet? Also, how can (laughs) Captain Littlefinger's queen of beauty when he never won a tourney or a duel or even got her favor? He's even more creepy than I remember, and I already am trying to use the narrative. And already trying to use the narrative of Sansa's favorite songs to paint himself in a good light with her. Um, do you think he was watching her during all the tourney days? Oh, yeah. Yes. He totally was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because even in the next chapter, he's like all like like there, commentary periodically now and then, piping up like, oh. Oh, no, he's just, he's gross. He's so gross. Mm. Um, so, luckily for us, this is what we get of him. And then he's sort of in the background and he looks <laughs> around, but they don't interact again. Um, so they get ready. The, the actual, um, the tourney part ends and they go to um, get ready for the feast. And she's thrilled kind of when Joffrey sits or nervous, I should say when Joffrey sits at their table. And I think it's interesting. She's managed to internalize what's happened. And in her mind, she has sort of, She's blaming Cersei and Arya at this moment for what went down. Um, and she had, I mean, her psychological processing of stuff, I find really interesting. Because um, she sort of like reworks it in her mind so that she can function is essentially what she's doing, which is, you know. Um, 
So everyone's drinking, which of course is going to make this all better, right? Um, but I mean, sure. Well, I mean, as an adult, but I mean, what wouldn't I you would give just... to be in a feast drinking right now? Well, and they're pouring the wine a lot, but Sansa actually feels that it's experience that's making her drunk on the magic of the night, giddy with glamour, swept away by beauty she had dreamt of all her life and never dared to hope to know. Mm. Which, I mean, I get it. She's going to be the princess. You know, this is a fabulous thing. She's and there, paper, front row great. seat. It's, and, it's, yeah. And even Joffrey's being actually nice to her. And I forgot how, like, Jekyll and Hyde he could be. Like, you'd always think, oh, he's sinister all the time. But he's really laying he's it on thick. He's, well, yeah. narcissists yeah. and so I mean, that's how they function. They draw you in. They're charming initially. It's once they scary. have you that they start turning to the scary, crazy people. So you could kind of see how she could be taken in by, you know, it's, it's understandable that this child who that's going to be her, she believes her lot in life. So she's trying to make the best of it. And he's yeah, pleasant and, and want the situation to work. So, you know, you're going to go with the narrative. I get it. Um, and it's like, he's pouring on the charm. There's great food. We get a lot of descriptions of that and entertainment um, until um, the second, like little, um, wrinkle and all of this happens with Robert has gotten bombed and is shouting and it turns out he wants to fight an attorney and he's I mean Martin uses the word screaming at Cersei who's telling him he can't and then Cersei takes off and Robert starts taunting Jamie saying he could take him and then he literally shoves Jamie so Jamie falls over I mean, right there. That's a lot to take, man. That's I'm surprised. I was like, "Wow, Jamie took it." <laughs> like, I didn't remember half. Of I know. Me. I remember <laughs> wanting, but I totally forgot the part about Jamie falling on his. Yeah, I mean, well, like it's Jamie. You know, like they're they're trying to talk Robert out of fighting in the in the melee, and I mean, Jamie, like the gesture, the thing that sets him off is Jamie like puts his hand on Robert's shoulder, like a, yeah. you know, what we would consider like a calming gesture, right. you know, like yeah. a, it's not like he and Robert, it. right. Yeah. Like, and then Robert just like goes, you know, shoves him and goes off on him for that. So it's like Jamie of all people is like trying to be like a conciliator, you know, he's trying to be very conciliatory at this moment and like calm, yeah. him, calm him. And, you know, it's not, it's one of those little bits in here that we, you know, where it's like, oh, yeah, George has already kind of decided a little bit about Jamie in this moment. Like, this is not a remnant of the original outline. Like, right. this right. is this is Jamie, not, you know, not not Jamie Cersei from the past. Like, and there's like a few of these in in a Game of Thrones. But this is just like that tiny little moment of, oh, OK, this is, you know. So, of all the people to, you know, because, well, we can talk about it in the in Ned's chapter, too. Did, did the head helmet, did the helmet getting smashed in happen in this chapter or Ned's? Because I... It's in Ned's because it's okay. in the yeah. semifinals. Okay, okay. Still Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, did we... I think we actually got a question about Jamie and Sansa. Yeah, we have... Um, so we have a question first from Aruna that gets into the, um, you know, I don't understand when people saying Sansa should have seen through Joffrey. She hated him for Lady first, then convinced herself he was not guilty since she'll have to spend the rest of, of his life with him. And then the first time they interact, Joffrey treats her like a queen, even if his facade starts to slip a little bit in the end. Do you think that was his idea or Cersei's to be, um, you know, nicer to, to Sansa? Probably Cersei's. I, would, I don't know, you know if he's as politically attuned as, as 
his mother or Sansa. Yeah. At least in at least in this book, I think Cersei comes off as being a lot more politically astute. Like we see in Storm that she's not, but like Yeah. Here yeah. she And I don't think he's I think he had to be maybe someone had to present that idea to him. Was he drunk? And then, he was drinking, right? Oh yeah, I think he <laughs> Everyone's was totally drinking. drinking. Yeah. <laughs> maybe that helped. <laughs> So then we had a question from Natasha on the Jamie Brian discard who says, I don't know if I'm overanalyzing, but it seems to me there are a few parallels between Jamie and Sansa in this chapter. That scene with Robert shoving and taunting Jamie is a strange show of pendulum behavior by Robert. Jamie actually controls himself and reacts with a courtesy and as a safe grace. This is not unlike the courtesy Sansa later adopts in response to Joffrey. The whole scene is almost a foreshadowing of Joffrey's treatment of Sansa. Driving enjoyment from humiliating others clearly derives from his father. It is coupled with Sansa already learning to go away inside, as we know Jamie does. She is writing off what happened in the woods as, quote, the awful thing that happened, unquote, and finding herself already shutting down when a young knight passed in front of her. Also, scene is interestingly timed. In the same chapter, Sansa hears Tom's story about Gregor and the violence that got him knighted, and concludes that Gregor is no true knight. When we get Jamie's POV much later, he thinks of Robert's drunken lechery and stupidity and thinks that Robert was no true king. He has much the same experience with Ares. George refers to Brienne as Sansa with a sword, but would you agree that the parallels between Jamie and Sansa are pretty strong too? I wonder if this is an underlying theme of idealism and dis- disillusionment that may tie them all together, mm. particularly if Jamie and Brienne end up at that tourney. Yes, I would agree with all of yeah. that. I yeah, think, I've always yeah. thought Jamie is more like Sansa than Brienne is like Sansa, honestly. Like, I feel like Jamie is kind of Sansa with a sword. Well, I think there's like a couple of characters, like Loris is one too, who I think they've all bought into the sort of idealism, the ideas of um, the ideals, I should say, of knighthood and songs. I don't think she she's not alone in this, and I don't think Jamie is either. No. Yeah, um, I, I would agree. And I, I, I think they're, I mean, I've never understood when people put the characters together, but I do think they're alike in a lot of real, especially in terms of like what happens to them and how they sort of like adapt to it. Yeah, know? I think Sansa, you know, I mean, Sansa certainly tends to react and adapt in less of a reckless way. Than no, Jamie but I mean, that sort does, of like, yeah, they you come into the situation with all of these ideals about what it is. And then after that's sort of brutally taken away from you, you sort of adapt, you know? Yeah. You know, I think that's what I was going with. And it'll be interesting because I mean, and just because of the way the narrative is, is framed, like we have, you know, 17 years of Jamie basically like stopping living almost, you know, like he's, he's cynical and disillusioned, but there's no like growth just, you know, there are no books. There's no growth during that time. And with Sansa, we're going to actually, like, see that, like, okay, the world isn't, you know, the world isn't like a song, but what am I going to do about that? Or how am I going to, yeah. you know, where it's not just going to be, like, I'm going to sulk and, and go away inside for, you know, most of my adult life, like, like Jamie, you know, like Jamie yeah. does. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, what she does, I guess. So then the last part of this chapter so 
it's towards the end of the feast, and Joffrey is like, "Hey, do you need a ride back?" Essentially, it, it's phrased much more elegantly. She need a ride that. back. <laughs> and <laughs> yes. Sansa realizes she does because her designated driver, <laughs> Septim Mordain, is drunk to the point that she's passed out. And Joffrey's, <laughs> Joffrey's idea of an escort is to have Sandor take her. And I don't know what like they just leave Septim Mordain. I'm really unclear on this, but um. Like what happens? This woman wakes up at four in the morning, going crap. <laughs> like, how do I get back? And, yeah. Um. So Joffrey has Sander take her. Um. And Sander. Okay, this is where I I'm really having a hard time with Sander in this book. I just got to say, but um, immediately Sander's taking her along and makes fun of her for possibly thinking that Joffrey would take her. her himself which honestly i don't think sansa was anticipating um and it sounds like he's pretty drunk too like everyone in this chapter at this point they're all drunk and she's scared and tries not to let that show and she tries to come up with this is like when you're in the car with someone you don't really know and you're trying to find things to say yeah um so she's complimenting him on his performance in the tourney and he really does not take that well and totally disavows knighthood and then he mocks her for saying all the right things. And then he makes her look up close at his scars. And like, she's 12, right? She, just, <laughs> this is like a lot. And he's a grown man. Um, and then he shares his origin story, which is also fairly horrific to be sharing with a comparative stranger. Um, and we learned that when he was like five or six, you know, this, this artisan traveling guy had given um, toys for him and Gregor and he wanted the toy that his older brother was like 12 at that point wanted and because he took it Gregor who also shows sociopathic psychopathic tendencies shoved his face into the fire and the family covered it up and you know he's hopelessly scarred and Gregor meanwhile goes off and somehow is knighted and Sansa like takes that all in and eventually says he was no true knight. And then the kicker to this lovely evening is they get back to the castle and he threatens to kill her if she should ever repeat what he has told her. Ugh. So yeah, you know, you're you go from this incredible high to this very scary low. I mean, but you know, to me, you know, his origin to me, this is like the moment that I really like Sansa because she's, you know, so inappropriately like confronted with this she had and this well. like drunk, you know, think about like, he's this, you know, he's physically huge and drunk mm-hmm. and gruff and she's afraid of him. And he, you know, for whatever reason tells her this story and, you know, she reacts with, you know, she react like she reacts mm-hmm. perfectly to it. And, you yes. know, she, you know, just like her hand on his shoulder. Like, I mean, I, you know, I am a sand, I'm a sand sand shipper. Like it's creepy and, you know, it's creepy and problematic, but like there's a, you know, there's a real connection between these characters. And, you know, I don't know, I don't know why Sander, you know, Sander clearly is seeking that out. Like there's something about her that, that he, I don't, you know, it's like, I think maybe he just likes to, he likes to fuck around with people and see what he and try to freak them out. And the fact that she is so, you know, she very much practices not being freaked out. So yeah. he tries harder and harder and she 
to the point where instead of like breaking her, he breaks himself. I guess it's, it's yeah. No, I see all that. I get all that. But like, this is like, it's not like when you're out with someone in your own peer group, who's doing something like this. This is like, you know, you've been babysitting and you know, they're like, the drunk father is giving, like, I remember this, you know, the guy who's had too much to drink is now driving you home and is like, starts spouting off some really weird shit. And you're like, what the hell do I do? And I mean, yeah, she handles herself well. She responds. I mean, she is in a certain respect. I mean, she's trying to behave the right way. She's, she's got compassion for him. Like she didn't, she couldn't like cry for the rando stranger dying in front of her, but she, you know, she tears up at this. She's got compassion, but at the same time, she's the kid in the car with the drunk, scary guy. And I know Joffrey yeah. doesn't care, but wouldn't the women in the court? I mean, was there any kind of protective type? Uh, They're all hammered. Think they would, I was gonna say, wouldn't somebody have said, "Hey, send a woman with him to take yeah. her, like the women"? Like, you wouldn't you send know, a male. And again, they left her guardian like there, passed out on the table. Where's Ned? Where was he? Was he? T- well, I think <laughs> oh, he was, was probably like messing with Robert. Probably trying he, to calm Robert down. Probably. And he put her with the yeah. the actual caregiver who's supposed to be taking care of the, the situation. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Because Roel was. But asleep, like, yeah. I mean, you know, she's like eleven or twelve, and <sighs> this guy yeah. is what twenty five. And I don't care that he went through all this shit. You don't. You don't. I mean. If if I did that to somebody's kid, oh my god! I mean, you don't do that. And I, there are no. I get really sick and tired of these creepy older men who are trying to strip away her illusions. It's not protective. It's because they've got their own garbage they're dealing with, and they're projecting it on a kid who can't really defend herself. And that's not right. So I, I mean, Sandra later would do on, this to I, everyone. Yeah, maybe I don't know. It's he just, seems drawn to her, I, yeah. but I I think it's all. You know, maybe he was. I mean, he the toy he wanted was the knight, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. He's another one. I mean, it's, yeah. it's about ideals yeah. and stuff, but it's like, and yeah, he knows what Joffrey is like and knows what she's facing. But I, it, there's no altruism here. This is all him dealing with his garbage. There isn't, but there, you know, there is though too. I mean, we see. You know, we see it later where he tries to help her as much as he can within within the system that he's in, within the within the power yeah. system that he's in. And then finally he breaks, you know, completely and, you know, thinks to see if he can get her out. And like, I guess it's still in her own language. Like, he's still using the terminology. He understands that she would understand about the whole the knights and, the, you know, the idealism. And I, I feel like there's some clues there that I, he's I mean, trying to get across i don't know in a very bad way like but he's still trying to get it i mean across. it's such a com- <laughs> like it's such a compl- it's yeah. complex and problematic and like the most you know obvious ways but it's really really interesting and i mean i just you know say you know as much as i will be up on that horse like why does everyone give sandra a pass for killing michael and all jamie did was bush brand on a whim blah 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 like, <laughs> i also kind of like you know, I really like Sander. Like, I really like that character. I have a lot of care for him. I can't wait to see what happens to him in wins and where, you know, and where he goes. Like, I find him, you know, it's so fascinating that I still think that Jamie basically 
Jamie basically hired him to watch out for Cersei because Jamie, of all people, knows that the King's Guard won't have any interest in helping the Queen. Yeah. Because, you know, he wasn't able to help. So he hires Sander to do that. And then, um, you know, but actually Sander becomes the Stark's, the Stark kid, the Stark girl's quasi caretaker. Yeah. Which, you know, so it's really, he's just an interesting, interesting character to me. And this is such a compelling, like, origin story for him that we get. And then, you know, just like this moment of him crying, like he's freaking crying, you know, and just... Yeah, I mean, Sansa's way too young, you know, Sansa's way too young to handle it, but I'm also going to kind of chalk that up to the fact that all of these kids yeah. are way too young for everything that yeah, Martin writes them true. doing. You know, like, just like, you know, Danny is 14 and, you know, having a kid and doing all this stuff, like, yeah. you know, Sansa's in, in that same boat, and I'm just going to, like, enjoy this, enjoy this this moment for, you know, for everything that it is. Um. We have a couple more questions, though. Uh, Wax Paper Door asks, do you think one of the reasons that the general dude bro fran- fandom dislikes Sansa is because she has this genuine empathy towards Xander um, rather than seeing him as some badass warrior? And that's the trait that seems to be lacking in most of these people. Uh, I mean, I just feel like everyone hates San- all that fandom hates Sansa because she quote unquote betrayed Ned by, you know. Mm. By, She's you know, the girl. Yeah. I, I mean, I, honestly, and I, I know... Like a lot of the dude bros in in Song and Ice and Fire fandom seem like you know she's the girl who would have been way out of their league, you know, and they hate her for it. And she's she she's constantly people are trying to objectify her in the story, yes. and fans do it too because that's what you do. The princess, the Disney yeah. princess, is someone to be one. You don't want the dis. I mean, what happens if the Disney princess is like, yeah, I don't want you. It reminds um, me of that Annie DeFranco, the line from one of her songs, um, what is it, um, Everyone Harbors a secret, secret Hatred for the Prettiest Girl in the Room. Yeah. Um, I could hear it in my head, but yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. they just, it's pretty, I think it's pretty basic why it's they like, hate her. It's like, too pretty is also <laughs> your doom. Yeah. I mean, yeah. 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 And I think a lot of, a lot of female fans dislike her because again she's the pretty princess who's you know well i also think it's because that she's the she's the one that has the traditionally feminine skills and we're even you know girls are taught that traditionally feminine things and interests are less important than traditionally masculine things and interests and And, and, you know stanza's interested in traditionally feminine things so therefore she's she's um, worthless a lot of times she's compared with her sister who is a very like the tomboy until until the tomboy gets of an age where she can be sexualized, the tomboy is like very popular usually, especially in fantasy. Yeah, yeah. You know, like you can look at her like she's not a threat to the boys. A lot of girls. I, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why people like certain characters. Well, it's an, you know Sansa, and again, you know, we think about that original outline and how Sansa really, you know, really did kind of not betray her family, but just like she had children with Joffrey, and, and you she know, chose her family, yeah, you know, chose that family over her Stark family, and you know, so I mean, there, you know, she definitely was in the outline that way, but in this out, you know, in this final outline, you know, it's really. It's a really cool choice, I think, to have a girl that is a, you know, a girl that likes feminine things and is more of a traditional girl and to give her a voice in this fantasy story and not make her suddenly start wielding a sword. I mean, 
I think she is going to obviously be in a story where the, you know, in a story about political power, but you know, that, I mean, let's look at history. There's certainly no way in hell that political power is, you know, a masculine story. Yeah. I've always thought he's writing her more like Elizabeth the first, like, you know, someone who gets sort of hammered about has a very problematic adolescent and ends up like hard as nails and rolling. And yeah. I mean, if you think about like how, you know, Thomas Seymour taught, you know, treated her and stuff like that, you know, definitely absolutely fits. That's yeah. I think that's totally true. Um, we have one more question from Aruna22 who asks, does anyone know why Rhaegar knighted Gregor? I don't think a prince would usually knight the son of a bannerman of one of his lords. Yeah, it seems like it was probably like a battlefield commission type of thing. It must maybe. have been, because I can't imagine anyone spending any time with Gregor. And then, well, like, and, you know, <laughs> don't we find out later here? that Gregor has like these debilitating headaches and stuff? Like, you know, he's actually as horrible as he is, like... Oh. Again, like there's like I wonder if some he has like CTE, issues like a CTE or something, you know, like the football players and wrestlers yeah. have like, you know. And then you know he's left undead for you know Jeez. however without a head. So actually, he probably doesn't have headaches anymore. Sorry, I just want so good. It solved his migraines, so oh that's good. God. Oh <laughs> that's all the questions that we have yeah well thanks for everyone for sending in in mail we we love receiving it and please send us more uh just want to remind everyone that we are recording episodes um way ahead of time so if you've sent us something and we haven't gotten to it that's probably why um you can send your questions and comments to close the door and at gmail.com or you can also send us questions and comments at Tumblr at close the door and come here on Tumblr.com. And we are also at Twitter at door podcast. And you can also ask us questions on the Jamie and Brienne subreddit. A big thank you to our patrons who help us with our hosting fees. Um, you can find us at um, patreon.com slash close the door. Um, And we invite you to review us uh, wherever you're listening to the podcast. It really helps other people find us. Um, I think that's it. So I'm closing the door. Get out.